Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. We have a great lineup for you today. Later, we're going to be joined by a middle school teacher who says she is being punished, harassed, and now threatened for speaking out against critical race theory. She says she's seeing an increased hatred towards America in her school by design, and she's refusing to remain quiet about all of it. And it appears that her school is retaliating against her for being so outspoken. She will join us in a fascinating interview. And speaking of refusing to back down in the face of pressure, the stand against vaccine mandates is spreading. Americans in all different types of jobs are saying enough is enough. And it's time now for them to either get the vax underneath these mandates or be fired. And more and more folks are choosing to walk or to force their employers to make them walk. Joining me now to discuss it and all the day's headlines is my pal Eric Bowling, host of The Balance on Newsmax. Eric, great to have you here. So there's so much to go over. I want to get to definitely in a little bit the supply chain problems and the inflation and the money, because you always explain that to me in ways that even I can understand. Um, But let's just start with the crazy vaccine mandates because it's happening, right? They're kicking in. And now we're seeing people meant it when they said, they weren't going to be bullied by their employers into getting these. Let me just start with Chicago cops. Uh, The vaccine deadline was Friday for them to disclose their vac status or be vaccinated. 30,000 city employees there, 10,000 cops. And according to the latest numbers, less than 65% of the cops have met the reporting requirement. Some 35% of the cops have let the deadline pass without complying. And um, now there's a real question about whether... (laughs) The, the cops are not going to be on the job in Chicago, one of the deadliest cities in America. My hometown, Megan, it, it, it's 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 sad. I watch what's going on week after week prior to this announcement by Lori, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who, by the way, has violated her own mask, man, mask mandate countless times, including this past weekend. Yep, Chicago cops are told that they're likely going to go on unpaid leave, which is basically taking their livelihood away from them if they're not uh, vaccinated. Uh, and they can't prove it. And they, like, like you said, somewhere around a third to a half of them said, we're not going to do it. John Cantazaro is the head of the police union in Chicago saying, we're not be, going to be told what to do, what to, what to put in. These are the same people, Megan, who were heroes a year ago. Remember, they were the frontline workers, the first responders. They're, they're getting fired. Um, nurses are being pulled off the floor if they don't have a vaccine, uh, vaccine passport. They fired 120 nurses in, in a hospital um, group right here in New York City. It's incredible. These people have put their lives on the line for America to save our lives and get us back on our feet. And now the Biden administration is is pulling their life, their their ways, their reasons to, to live to get to make a livelihood. It's insane across the board. We just heard a cop in in uh, Washington State resign on his microphone. On his he's calling into it for, for his very last time. I'm resigning because Governor Inlee from Washington governor's mandating cops be vaccinated. Why we have that? Actually, let's hear that. That's Washington State Trooper. um, His name is Robert LeMay. He went public with his opposition to the vaccine mandate in August. He's skeptical about the safety of the vaccine and long term effects and so on. And here he was um, piecing out after 22 years as a state trooper. This is my final sign off um, after 22 years of 
serving the citizens of the state of Washington, um, being asked to leave because I am dirty. Guys, I'd like to thank the um, citizens of Yakima County, as well as my fellow officers within the Valley. Without you guys, I wouldn't have been very successful and you've kept me safe and got me home to my family every night. Um, thank you for that. Um, wish I could say more, but um, this is it. So state 1034, this is the last time you'll hear me in a state patrol car. And Jay Inslee can kiss my ass. <laughs> yeah, Jay Inslee, sums, governor there. And, and remember, he wanted he ran for president at one point. Uh, LeMay is on my show today, and, and and he, you know, not only was he a state trooper for I believe he was seventeen or twenty-two years. He delivered yeah. a child on his first shift ever. He said he embraced young officers, young troopers who wanted to come in. He taught them the ropes, kept them safe, kept the the people of Washington State safe. And now, after all this, as he points out, Governor Inslee thinks he's dirty. Governor, uh, Trooper LeMay is dirty because he won't take a vaccine, uh, take a vaccine that he and his wife both choose not to take. They just don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't make people do things they don't want to do. I would recommend it. I've been vaccinated. I clearly talk about it, but I have a real problem with being mandated to do it. I did it because I'm in this city, this godforsaken hellhole, New York City, sorry, New Yorkers. <laughs> I'm in this city and I can't even go to a restaurant unless I show a vaccine passport or a vaccine passport in my pocket. You go anywhere and they want to see it. They want to make yep. sure you're vaccinated. It's huh. really incredibly against our Fourth Amendment rights. It, you know, it's just incredible what they're doing. To our, Did to you our laminate rights. your little card? I'm impressed. Um, so CBS, when you get the second person, second shot, you can buy this little... <laughs> Okay, so I will show you mine. I, I keep all my cards in the back of my uh, my phone, and mine is just like crumbled up in a little. Yeah, that, that's me. That's uh, and I only even have that because Abby made me because I traveled to Chicago this past week, and she's like, "Take it with you. You'll never eat out." But actually, they were a lot, lot more lax in Chicago than they were in New York, where they really do make you show that vaccine card in order and, and to get ID. in. Megan, they're like, make sure you're not faking it. By yes, it's just incredible. I mean, yeah, you come across our southern border. And you're not required to show a vaccine card, nor are you required to get vaccinated. But that's a okay. That's fine. Mm -hmm. And they'll fly people in the middle of the night into our U.S. cities quietly under the guise of darkness um, and, and drop illegal immigrants off. Into, that's happening into right city. now. That's happening between, between where you are in New York City and where I am right now in Connecticut at Westchester Airport, uh, which is this small sort of under the radar um airport and the reports are by the New York Post that they've they've flown some 2000 uh illegal immigrants up there in the in the dark of night between midnight and 6 a.m. I'm sure somebody just tipped off the post because they saw these um you know undocumented immigrants coming in and they say oh no it's all families it's all children but those on the ground are saying no there were plenty of young men in their 20s um technically somebody's child yes that doesn't make one a child and the Biden administration it seems to be awfully sneaky about it Ron DeSantis in Florida said if this is all on the up and up why so sneaky Sneaky. And none of those people has had a vaccine. They've been open about the fact that they're not vaccinating these migrants. They're not requiring that of the Afghanistan migrants. They're only requiring that of folks like that trooper and these cops and people who have been helping the country survive this pandemic for the past 18 months. You know, Trooper LeMay, and again, he's going to be on. We have the show at four o'clock. I'm not pitching. I'm simply saying it's no, but you should watch it. It's a good show. It's Newsmax 4 p.m. Eric Bowling. Thank you, Meg. But he 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 says he and his wife have chosen not to. They have three young kids. 
They have three young babies now. Their dad's not making a living. His wife works part time. They don't know what to do, but they did know that they didn't want to be told to take a vaccine that they didn't agree with. They didn't know or, you know, whether it was vetted enough. Who knows? I'm not making a commentary on whether or not the vaccine works or not. I'm saying the mandate. So I'm pro-vaccine, anti-mandate. And this mm-hmm. guy, this trooper is putting his career on his family's livelihood on the line, as is Megan, the ESPN reporter who said, you know, what? I don't want to take the man, uh, the vaccine because I'm trying to get pregnant. My doctor said, don't. And Disney, who owns ESPN, says, OK, for a while you can object medical reasons. But then they said, either you get vaccinated or you're going to have to resign or they'll fire you. And she yeah, had to resign. Or you're out. So now, you know me, I don't I don't follow sports that closely, but I do know my fellow reporters. And she's been at ESPN. Her name's Allison Williams for about a decade now. Faithful servant on the sidelines reporting the games and so on. And now she and her husband are trying to get pregnant with their second baby. And there are a lot of women who are pregnant or trying to get wet, pregnant who have some vaccine hesitancy for obvious reasons. They're amongst the lowest when it comes to the vaccinated uh, in our country. I, uh, according to my stats, my team gave me less than 26 percent of pregnant Americans have received at least one dose of the vaccine because they're worried about their babies. They have a higher calling to protect the unborn and, and figure out what's safe and what's not safe. And There haven't been that much that many tests on them. Uh, but here is Allison Williams of ESPN saying this is a little long, but she's basically saying I'm done. I'm not doing it. My ethics require me to walk from this job I love. Watch. I have been denied my request for accommodation by ESPN and the Walt Disney Company. And effective next week, I will be separated from the company. I am also so morally and ethically not aligned with this. And I've had to really dig deep and analyze my values and my morals. And um, ultimately I need to put them first. And the irony in all this is that a lot of those same values and principles I hold so dear are what made me a really good employee. I don't know what it's like to run a multi-billion dollar company and to have shareholders and board members and financial quotas to answer to and not to mention societal and I'm sure political pressures. So I respect that their values have changed. I had hoped they would respect that mine did not. And ultimately, I cannot put a paycheck over principle. And I will not sacrifice something that I believe and hold so strongly to maintain a career. And so many of the people who are in the same situation as me are serving society and benefiting this country in ways I could never do. They are nurses, they are teachers, they are doctors, they are police officers and first responders. They are most importantly our military and they too are pilots. They too are choosing to put their beliefs first. And I just want you all to know I stand with you. But I also want people to know who support these mandates that I fight for you. Because if this is the direction we take our country There will come a time when the government or corporations mandate you to get something that does not align with your values. Power given is seldom returned. And when that day comes, I want you to at least know that we fought and we tried. Wow. I've got chills listening to her. I I want to tell the audience, um, 
Allison's doing her first broadcast interview with us on Thursday. So very happy she's coming on. We're going to talk about it. But man, she brings it home at the end there, right? It's not just about the COVID vaccine mandate. It's, it's unbelievable. It's so heart-wrenching the, the way she describes it. And she, she's right. It's, it's about not, who knows what the next thing is. It's a trial balloon, a weather balloon for something for something else to see how this flies. They, they all want control. I'm struck by the way she was emotional because she said, I don't want, I, I don't want this for, for the next generation, right? We had on a pilot. Remember when the, when the pilot spoke out about pilots uh, being mandated to get vaccinated or being, or they're going to be fired. Well, pilot came out, he went, he went viral with his TikTok pushback and he came on and he said, you know, I can't really come on because, because my wife and, and I said, we'll bring her on too. And she said, well, she's watching the baby. So we'll bring the baby on too. So I had the pilot, his wife, both are pilots. They're both pilots and they're both refusing to take the shot. And they had the little baby there, the little girl there. She's about three years old, just gorgeous little family there. And I said, well, you know, here, let me play devil's advocate for a second. I agree with you, but let me just say what I'm hearing. Well, why don't you just take the vaccine for your family? Look at your beautiful little girl. And he said, I can't. He looked at his wife and she's nodding away. She said, I can't raise her knowing that I came on something that I was so principled about not wanting to take the vaccine. And that was the, that, that, that's exactly to the heart of this. Whether or not you agree or disagree or you trust the vaccine or you don't trust the vaccine or you worry that the vaccine will cause some sort of potential birth defects if you do get pregnant or you don't, the point is if you have a, a belief in something and you're willing to fight for the belief, the minute you turn that over to the government saying, you know what, I'm not willing to fight for the same, they've won and who knows where they'll take it. What's the next level? What's the next thing they'll tell us we have to mm-hmm. do or we have to take or we can't get into this restaurant or we can't keep our jobs? It's incredible the amount of control government wants. And this is a, this is a, a Democrat thing. They want to control this aspect of our lives. And it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. First, it was, you know, whether you can get go watch a game. Then it was, well, can you go out to dinner? Now, we're going to let you know if you, we're going to let you work or not if you don't take what we say you need to take. Mm-hmm. It's down to Fauci, like, mm, I'll decide whether you have Christmas. I'll decide yeah. whether you have Thanksgiving. No, you won't. You won't decide. We'll decide for ourselves. We don't need you to tell us whether we should gather with our family over Christmas. I'm so sick of this bullshit, honestly, like these federal bureaucrats thinking that they can control our every move. They've already got their hand over my kids' mouths all day long at school with these unnecessary masks, which the CDC's own study shows do Nothing to stop the spread of COVID in children in the school setting, uh, a reality they won't they won't acknowledge. And the thing about Allison, as you listen to her, is she's talking about a hesitancy from somebody who's trying to conceive a baby. The vaccine's only been around for about a year. We don't there haven't been that many generations born by women who have been vaccinated. I understand there's just not enough data to have total confidence for some expectant moms. They tell you you don't drink a glass of wine if you're pregnant. Don't have a cigarette after you know years and years and decades of studies. But yet they'll tell you this vaccine's safe because wink, wink. We know you bring a Fauci. Who in the world gave Fauci the power to tell anyone whether they can go to Fourth of July this past Fourth of July, Thanksgiving, trick or treating for Halloween and Christmas? Are you kidding me? The guy hasn't been right about anything. First there was no masks, then there was one mask, then there was two masks. The Democrats want control of our lives and they need a useful idiot. You know who the useful idiot is? Anthony Fauci is their useful idiot because he confirms everything they want him to say. They see, he says it, 
and he he pushes it and he tells us how deadly you know life is going to be. Can you imagine if you sit in a college stadium and watch a football game? Everyone's going to die by by Christmas time. COVID. Guess what? COVID cases are going down. We have hundred thousand people packed into stadiums, and he was wrong again. Yet the media holds him up on a pedestal because the media is mm-hmm. complicit. They have a useful idiot in Fauci, and the government wants what they want. They want everyone. They want control over what people do. Ultimately, I'll, I'll give you one one derivative of this. The reason why Democrats want control, the reason why Biden and the administration and, and likely countless others want control is because it becomes a full circle. Follow the money. This is what I do in my life. We follow the money. Democrats push a vaccine. Vaccines cost a ton of money. We raise money, we print money, we borrow money to create this big bowl of money for COVID, COVID fighting COVID, whether it's vaccines or, or PPE, whatever. So the ton of money that we've said, okay, here, here's a bunch of money, fight it. So the Democrats get to throw money at Big Pharma. Big Pharma gets to sell a lot of vaccines and a lot of, a lot of equipment to, to fight COVID. What do they do in return? And here's the payoff, here's the kicker. The biggest, the biggest donor class to the Biden, to Joe Biden's run for president and to the Democrats. The number one, there's no one that spends more money lobbying than big pharma. They throw money into election coffers and they lobby. They spend more money making sure that they're gonna keep this cycle going. And that's how it works. It's all about the money for the Democrats, for the for their, for their re-elections. It's all about the money for, for big pharma because they sell a, a ton of stuff. Look at the best performing companies on Wall Street in the last 18 months. Moderna, Pfizer. Johnson and Johnson and the others who provide all the stuff that Democrats tell us we need to have. Mm. In the meantime, the Biden administration continues to flout its own mandates on all of us. Right. They were uh, the the president and uh, Mrs. Biden were in a restaurant in D.C. Uh, just last weekend where you do have to have a mask on inside at the restaurant. This stupid ass rule where you have to have it on your face while you walk in, you walk to your table, you can take it off at your table. The virus magically knows to stay just at your table and then not jump to the people passing through, leaving the restaurant or going to the bathroom. It's ridiculous. But hey, it's his team that's forcing these things on us. And if I've got to do it, so does he. But as it turns out, no, he didn't do it. And neither did Mrs. Biden. They were walking out of the restaurant in the plain view of everybody and they weren't wearing their masks. So Peter Ducey over at Fox uh, asks Jen Psaki about him flouting the rules that the rest of us for some stupid reason have to follow. We'd rather be like him. Yes, we're with him. Let's take it off. This is pointless. But no, we have to do it. And listen to what Jen Psaki says. President Biden and the First Lady were not wearing masks while walking around a D.C. restaurant on Saturday. Why? Well, I think what we are referring to is a photo of them walking out of a restaurant after they they had eaten masks in hand where they had not yet put them back on yet. So I would say, of course, uh, there are moments when we all don't put masks back on as quickly as we should. But I don't think we should lose miss lose the forest through the trees here and that our objective here is to get more people vaccinated, make sure that uh, that schools and companies around the country can put in place requirements to save more lives and keep people safer. Uh, and, you know, not overly focus on moments in time. 
don't overly focus on moments in time. And if she, if she no. goes on to say moments in time that don't reflect overarching policy, that moment in time didn't reflect your overarching party or par- policy or didn't comply with it because I think it reflected your policy just just perfectly. But you it didn't comply with it. And the rest of us have to. Um, but the truth is, I had Stephen Crowder on yesterday, Eric. He was saying think moments like this, you know what they show us? They don't show hypocrisy. They show the truth, which is even he knows it's bull. Even he knows this is all theater. They're, they're all about it. The Democrats are all about bull. Or I, I have a hypocrisy bell on the show that we constantly <laughs> when, when something like this happened. Lori Lightfoot over the weekend was maskless in a venue when she tells us you need every weekend. Every weekend. She, she violates every weekend. Go, sorry, go ahead. And every week. Gavin Newsom, one of the biggest violators. He he's has, you know, the French laundry issue. We talked about all about that last year. He's dining $400 plate restaurants when he's shutting down his own economy. His daughter, his daughter is not vaccinated as he mandates every child of that age to be vaccinated in the state of California. Hypocrisy bells going off left and right. But I believe the biggest one is save for Congress because Congress is mandating all, all these liberal Democrats. All these Democrats are mandating we have to vaccine mass and all these things. You know who's exempt? Who's exempt from the vaccine mandates? Staffers of Congress members. Staffers of Congress are exempt from having to do the things that the, their lawmaker bosses are mandating we do or we lose our jobs. It doesn't I get any more. I did not know that. Normally, if you're a staffer, they make you do all the stuff. You, you're the one with the mask while the others don't. It's happening more and more. The Washington State football coach, Nick Rolovich, was just fired. The guy was making $3.2 million a year. They fired him for cause because he refused to get vaxxed. Other unvaccinated assistant coaches have also been fired. Um, Dan Bongino's over at Cumulus throwing a fit saying, I got vaccinated, but if you're going to require everybody here to get vaccinated, I'm quitting. He's got a 300 stations. We'll see. I mean, there's a similar policy at Fox News, you know, according to what I read. Um, I, I, who knows so, how so far I'll, that's going to go touch on that if you want. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I do wonder. Third, third rail here. Yeah, I, we, <laughs> we saw the memo of, of I believe it's Kevin Lord, HR, who said that you got to be vaccinated or you can't come in the building or you're going to be tested. Um, and, and, and that right there is is I've rung the hypocrisy bell at Fox News for that right there, because of all the people, of all the groups pushing back against this type of coercive behavior by businesses and by governments, Fox News, I think, is one of the loudest voices, if not the loudest. And then they do have, and, and think about this, okay, you can't get in the building. You can't get in the building that you and I used to work in. As you know, there are cameramen, there are producers, there are lighting people who have to be in that building or they can't do their job. So stop with the oh, yeah, look at this mandate suck for everyone else, but not for us. Rules for me, but not for me. I just feel like it's, you know, so it's not like this football coach is exactly working class. Um, but still, uh, reportedly, he was tested every day. <laughs> You're getting tested every day. You're yeah. probably not a major threat. And I'm sure you can keep six feet of distance out there during training. But no, it's about control. So this guy gets fired. And to his credit, I mean, stands on principle just like Allison um, and, and just like the state trooper who's coming on your show, Robert LeMay. Look, it's not that I'm anti-vax. It's that I appreciate people standing by their ethics and taking mm-hmm. taking the cost on personally if that if that's what it requires. I, I've you, been there think, my, myself in the past, Fox, not on vaccines. Fox. It's not easy think, to do. Go ahead. Do you think any of those Fox on-air reporters or talent would um, 
quit their jobs if they, Fox did go one step further and say you're either mandated to get the vaccine or you can't work here at all anymore. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, don't know. I will I mean, say I don't think they should be put in that position. You know, I just don't think. 100%. And you and you, you know should be able right. to speak out 100%. against the mandates without saying, OK, I've got to quit my job if if they impose the mandates. I don't really understand what's going on with Bongino there because um, he's only making the threat in the one lane, you know, at Cumulus. But I don't think he's making the threat. Uh, uh, with respect to his position at Fox News. Um, but I do think you should be free. You have, you have a microphone like I do or like you do um, to speak out against mandates uh, without sacrificing your job. The problem is you don't have that freedom if it's about getting the actual shot. You do have to choose between your livelihood and that needle going in your arm. And, and you know, as well as I do, Eric, there are people out there who won't even take two Tylenol when they have a headache because they're so attentive to what they put in their bodies. You know, I'm not necessarily that person, but I know lots of them. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure you said this, or I just read this this morning that, that pregnant women, and I, I said it, yeah, pregnant women, um, not pregnant people, pregnant women are vaccinated something like 20 percent. <laughs> is that what you said? Or, yes. or did yeah. I read that somewhere else? Because of that. Less than 26% of pregnant years, Americans have received at least one dose. Yeah, over the years we've, we've we've known that putting certain things in your body when you're pregnant ends up affecting the pregnancy, the birth, and we they, people don't want to do that. And they have right, they have a right to say no. What if government says it's ma- vaccine mandates today, and and it, you know tomorrow it's um, I don't know cold. You're gonna we're gonna the, the mandate the flu vaccine and and then shingles vaccine. And, and by the way, we're gonna have we're gonna have this new thing that we're gonna mandate against another questionable. Uh, affliction or disease they yeah once they once they gain control over one of them that there's likely that you open up a pandora's box so to speak of what they will try what, what they'll try to do with us well we're there we're there i mean it's happening people are losing their jobs left and right now that these things are kicking in um listen there's much more to discuss eric bowling knows a lot a lot about finance and the economy and what's going on with the supply chain crisis how it's going to affect your christmas how it's going to affect your paycheck and the amount that you are charged at the gas pump and the grocery store that's next So, Eric, um, I confess for the first time ever, I actually am considering buying my Christmas gifts early. Um, Abby's like, no, bull, you don't believe I don't. She doesn't believe me, but I am. I'm starting to get a little nervous given all these supply chain issues, um, which I want to get into. But uh, so I want to talk about whether we should do that. And also I need to buy a car. I'm worried about that. And I mentioned this last week. I'm trying to build a studio and I got an estimate on, on how much it would cost exactly 12 months ago, we checked back in with the contractor. It's doubled. It's yeah. doubled the estimate in 12 months. So I can feel all this inflation and so on in a personal way. I'm sure my listeners can too. Um, your thoughts on w- whether we've peaked in terms of the badness or whether this is going to go on and on? My problem is I think we've plateaued instead of peaked. So all the badness feels like prices have gone up and we know they have, but will they go back down? Everyone's predicting they go back down, including probably the smartest man on Wall Street, Jamie Dimon, but I don't believe, I think he's wrong. I'm not smarter than Jamie Dimon, but I, just, I feel he's wrong this time. We've floated this, this inflationary boat and it's lasted so long, it feels like we've been probably even out for a while and then make another move up when things get even tighter. And the reason behind this is, is, is it mostly the reason why you're having a hard time buying a car with things you want on it because you can buy a car, maybe not get all the bells and whistles you want because of chip shortage. There's, a, there's literally a chip shortage in America. 
It's also the reason why you're probably, not only did your prices double for your studio, it probably pushed you back on delivery times for cameras Mm -hmm. and equipment as well, where where you could have bought it, the stuff a year ago at a lower price and probably had delivered within a couple of weeks. Now they're talking months before delivery of things like cameras. And I know it's going to try to do the same thing in a bonus studio right now. We went from um, about a five week wait for the equipment to five month wait for the equipment. China has a, a, a complete stranglehold on chips around, around the world. They're hoarding them. They're using them for themselves. We all need them. You can go into a car. This happened as well. When it brought Adrian a car, I went into a car dealership. Um, and they said, well, you, you can have this car, but just want to let you know this function doesn't work on the car. And it was one of the functions like the lighting on the interior. You can't change the lighting on the interior colors, which you normally could. Well, we don't have the chips for that. So, you know, we're taking that price off the car. It's still there. If we ever get chips, we'll, we'll be able to put that back in. We have a chip shortage. As far as the rest of the supply chain problems, I don't see how it's going to get any better. We have energy prices that are spiking. A lot of, of what's going on right now is tied to energy prices, $80 barrels of crude. You remember a year, two years ago, Megan, or price of crude went negative. Trump was pumping out so much oil. Uh, we were fracking. We didn't need a lot of our, uh, some of the domestic oil production we had. We were actually surplusing and we were shipping some of it overseas. Now we are at dire needs for oil. Prices are rising because the Biden administration canceled a lot of the fracking projects. They canceled a lot of drilling projects. They canceled the uh, XL pipeline, Keystone XL pipeline. So we're becoming energy dependent again on the Middle East. So prices of, of oil go, go up. You move everything in this country via some sort of fossil fuel. So whether it's a truck with diesel fuel, a train with coal, it's all tied to prices of fuel. So prices of stock are, are going up. It doesn't feel like they're ever going to go down, especially not under with a Democrat president, Democrat administration that is completely anti-fossil fuel. You have the mm-hmm. AOC wing of the party telling Biden, who's somehow now becoming a spokesperson for her Green New Deal agenda, get rid of fossil fuels. We can't. We can't. He said if that. Remember that debate with Trump? Fuels, he said, I want to kill, I want uh, to kill the coal industry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I was just saying he, he made no no his, uh, mystery of his desire to kill fossil fuels, the coal industry. He said that at a presidential debate. Um, that's what he thinks is best for the environment. But that's you look at the numbers now because it's on, on top of the grocery bill that I mean, I don't know about you, but it's like you I got like the dollar signs in my eyeballs when I go to the grocery store now. And, and look, I can afford it. I'm thinking about the people who don't have money. Right. It's like BS. I remember it wasn't so long ago that I was living paycheck to paycheck. And that hurts the, the groceries in particular. You got to get them. You got to feed your family. So you got the 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 um, cost of groceries, according to Department of Labor, has gone up five point four percent year over year. It feels like more than that. Oil gas um, is up about a dollar eight, a dollar eight from a year 42%. ago. That's a lot per gallon, per gallon. 42% for gasoline in in the 30s for for certain meats. So what happens here is they remove food and energy from those those producer price indexes, but that's all we use every day. It's food and energy. We drive to work. We drive to school. We come home. We eat food. They remove that, and it looks like 5%. But when you add in the thing, we highlight the things that we use every day, numbers are spiking. Anything that's going up here that we produce in America is going up because of energy prices. But the stuff, the other stuff that's going up, the reason why we have supply chain disruption, the reason why the LA port is backed up with 60,000 or 600,000, sorry, containers that are waiting to, to, to hit port is because one simple answer, uh, the, the giveaways that the Biden administration has given to people to not work. So they can't get workers and the whole supply chain can't get work. 
workers. You can't get port workers because they don't want to work. They'd rather stay home. You can't get restaurant workers. You can't get truckers to truck the goods when they get to the port in LA to bring it to the different cities around, around the country. So, so the, the supply chain disruptions are happening because of workers. Workers are choosing to stay home instead of going to work and earn their paycheck. They can stay home and get the paycheck. 10 we, we, million we can, job openings. We can't even get the Secretary of Transportation to work. <laughs> they left the job. <laughs> Didn't tell anybody. Hello? Hello? Yeah, Secretary Buttigieg. So yes, to your point, uh, they say not enough truck drivers. 22,000 fewer people working in the trucking industry versus pre-pandemic. And even then, the American Trucking Association had estimated in 2019 that it was going to be short some 60,000 drivers. Welcome to the pandemic. Now they say they have one qualified driver for every nine job listings in the truck industry. But can I just ask you about those ports? Because I don't think a lot of us pay that much attention to the ports, you know, the shipping we get from China, all those, you know, cargo boxes that are sitting out there on the ships waiting to come in. I think about it just on a personal level. We bought a new house and we moved to Connecticut and we're waiting on a couch. And the couch was supposed to be here in August. Then it was supposed to be here in September. Then it was supposed to be here in October. Now they're saying maybe November. And, you know, I'm certain my couch is sitting in one of those boxes out there. Yeah. And because they can't find a place to deliver them and they can't get the warehouse space and they can't get the workers and they can't get the truckers and so on. But here's what the Biden administration said. We brokered a deal. This is from National Review. We brokered a deal under which the twin California ports now operate now operate around the clock. OK, so they're like, we're on it. The 24 seven operation began weeks ago, according to Jen Psaki. Well, it's not true. Port authorities told the Long Beach Post. There is no terminal at either facility currently operating 24-7. Port Authority has launched a pilot program under which one terminal at Long Beach only, there are seven, by the way, will operate 24 hours a day, Monday through Thursday. So it's more like 24-4, not 24-7. And at only one of the terminals, not all seven, and at only one of the ports, not both of them. <laughs> and and the, the rest of the week, they revert to their usual restricted hours. So the we've been misled by our administration on what's being done. But those ports, uh, it seems like the problems multifold in, in, in terms of getting the ships in, the cargo in, the cargo shipped and then delivered. So they lied. Shocker. Shocker there. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's no, 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 no surprise there. So you ever know, you see the pictures of the ports and all the container ships that they're holding containers and they're called container ships because they're holding containers. Those are standardized containers because once they hit port, they're offloaded off, off the ships and then they're unloaded either. Well, they could be warehouse, but they're if, you, if, if they're in, important to, to the commerce, they're lo loaded onto either train rails or, or trucks. And they're the same equipment. It's the same box. It's filled with stuff. They put it right on the back of a flatbed of a truck and 18 wheeler and goes where they put it in, in a long string of a train and it goes. Well, so that's great if they can get the ports and get this stuff off the water where it's rotting and dying. Hopefully your, your couch isn't getting gross because it's out in the water. So <laughs> right. But, but it's, it's fine if they can get it to port, but then they're just going to stick in the warehouse because they don't have enough truckers. They don't have enough rail. They don't have enough workers to, to load the stuff onto the onto the trucks and the rails and get it to people. And then once it gets there, they don't have enough people at grocery stores to unpack the stuff. I mean, yeah. it goes all the way down the line. I saw a stat yesterday. And this is this is another reason why prices are going up. A meat processing plant, and I believe it was Iowa, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in the Midwest, meat pro processing plant meat was such it's such a shortage for workers. They were offering an eight thousand dollars signing bonus. 
and some it's exorbitant number per hour, but $8,000 just to sign with them because they need workers that badly. So wow. if that's the case, even if they had the meat to, that was being slaughtered, they needed to be packaged and then they needed to be shipped again. So all down the line, this whole idea of paying people to stay home, it sounded good. And maybe the stock market goes up because because people are speculating with their free money. But what's happening is the people are the, the, the average worker, the, 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 um, the, $20, an hour worker doesn't want to do it anymore. I can stay home and make 15 bucks now. Why would I, why would I do it? Or they'll figure out a way to go work five hours, get paid on off the books and still take their government check and, and cash it. That's why, nope. that's why prices are going up. There's a okay, lot but wait, of let, let me, let me challenge that. you on that because I didn't the Biden unemployment payments stop in early September. And what I read in the papers, the papers tell me, Eric Bowling, that, uh, that there is a lingering effect of COVID um, in terms of the reduced production of goods that, you know, we we weren't buying as as many, I guess, during the lockdowns and that personal spending on goods is up 20 percent this year, this August versus August of 2020. We've spent an additional nine hundred billion on goods this year. So we we're getting our spend back on because we're out of quarantine and we're like, yeah, feels good. I want some I want some couches and I want some merchandise and that they just can't keep up like it's mm-hmm. everything was shut down and there's sort of a hangover over from slowed manufacturing from when we weren't buying that. And now there's this huge new demand. And the, the papers tell me it's not about oil and gas and it's not about the Joe Biden unemployment. No, it, it absolutely is about oil and gas. And it is about because we can't get people to, to process. The, the reason why, OK, I hate to get monkey here, but it's, it's economics 101. There's 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 supply and demand. And we have massive pent up demand that's being unleashed right now because you're right. For 18 months, we were staying home. Now we want to go out and buy stuff, you know, retail therapy, so to speak. We want to buy stuff. We want to travel. We want to do things. We want to go to restaurants. So demand is huge right now, given. And that's great for the economy. But the problem is supply is tight because we can't get workers to produce the stuff that we're trying to buy. We can't get workers to produce the, the jackets or the tires of the new car or the cars or the that we can't get people to produce the stuff. So supply stays stagnant or down or even because we can't produce enough to meet demand. And what does that do? 100% of the time makes prices go up. That's where we are. The problem is if prices stay high and we stop paying people to stay home and people want to go out and, and, and things start to open up, you're going to have a situation where prices are remaining high and people can't afford what, what they used to be able to afford. Mm-hmm. Right now, people are kind of being able to, I hate guys like me who used to come on and say, oh my gosh, uh, the world's going to hell because prices are going up and, and, and it, it just, it, it, the economy looks so bad, yet everything got better year after year. This, this things are getting better year after year, but they're, it's artificially financed by the government. We're spending yeah. trillions upon trillions of dollars. Sounds great, right? Okay, let's keep doing it. You know what? There's something to be said about keep doing it. If no one says, hey, enough, you guys, we're not going to loan you any more money, like China, then everything's fine. But here's the risk, and there is a risk. China is China plays the long game. We play the very, very short game with what's happening this week, this month, this year. China plays for 5, 10, 15 years down the road. China builds cities in anticipation of an industry being strong, and, they'll, and the industry will grow into the cities that China's already built. China plays the long game. They're holding a lot of our debt. If there were a case where they go, you know what? You guys are fiscally ridiculous. We can't, we would not, it wouldn't be smart for us, China, to continue to invest in your country by buying your debt. We're in severe, we're, we go into severe, severe shock. We can't self-sustain. And if 
if we don't have China to keep buying us stuff. Now, there's another theory that says, well, China better do that. Otherwise, we're their biggest customer and, and they would blow out our customer. It's almost like a wink and a nod be- between the two to see who's going to blink first. Problem is we don't have any of the cards. We don't have the cards. To- well, it certainly doesn't suggest that we're going to get involved to save Taiwan or Hong Kong um, if Correct. China decides. Correct. Yeah, right. It's like they decide to do right. the Pac-Man gobble of those of those cities, uh, countries that then forget about it. Like we're not going to intervene. Now, in the meantime, you've got um, real life prices going up. Bacon up nineteen percent. Steak twenty two. Lettuce fifteen. Eggs thirteen percent. Washing machines up nineteen percent. TVs thirteen percent. Kids shoes twelve. Hotels twenty percent. Used cars twenty four percent. And on and on it goes. And you know, I had Glenn Beck on the program not long ago, giving me one hundred one two on economics, and we were talking about how normally if you've got inflation that stays up, and the economists on average see inflation that's staying around five point two five percent as of this coming December, which would mark the longest inflation has been above five percent since early nineteen ninety one and that terrible recession back then. So it's not good. These numbers are bad in in terms of inflation. That the Fed will step in, will hike interest rates, and that. That's, I guess, not good for us. <laughs> this is where my I won't be able to re- reproduce what yeah. Glenn was saying, but he was saying that he, he sees the Fed stepping in potentially. Do you think that they will and raise interest rates? Um, if it stayed elevated, but we, we saw the Fed chairman about six months ago saying that there, it, they, they would not raise interest rates before the end of this year and likely not before the end of 2022 unless something dramatic happened. And yes, inflation strong and prices are going up. Um, I, I, but again, they keep, and the difference between inflation being this, this high now and the last time it was this high in the 90s was we were, the economy was severely on the way down. We were having an uh, inflationary period at the same time we had unemployment spiking and it was a slowing economy at the same time. And so all things were bad and that became a recession, almost a depression. Here, for whatever reason, we're still confident. We consumers are still spending. You know, we're still spending every dime we but have. Isn't it crazy, it's Eric? It's day. crazy <laughs> that we're still thinking about putting another three point five trillion, three point two trillion. They say it's going to have to be lower because of mansion and cinema, but three point two trillion in this sort of social spending bill out there, in that's addition to these so called infrastructure. That, that that's was, just more. They're going to pump more money into the economy. That, that will fire up. That'll keep the. Infl- that's why I'm saying. Will it go back down like Jamie Dimon says? I think no, because I don't, I don't, if it's not a three trillion, maybe it's a two trillion. And then there's, a, is there another two trillion dollar spending package behind that? What that does, that, that funnels, it's a big fire hose of money into the economy. That means people will buy, whether it's direct payments to people, which is likely they'll, they'll figure out a way to do that, or it's subsidies or, or paying, you know, family, child credits, you know, money thrown into families. That's money that goes that gets into people's pockets and goes right back out of the economy. The problem is we're, we're running a deficit of the country. That is, but again, it's protecting the downside of, of whatever this inflationary spike is. Home prices are up. You talk about you one one of the, one of the, the strongest markets of all these things: stock, other used mm-hmm. cars. Used car mm-hmm. prices are through the roof. You mm-hmm. like you, you can't. You're paying 30 percent more for a used car than ever. And it's a really good indicator of average Joe. It's not the uber wealthy, it's the average Joe. So he has more money, he's spending more, things feel better until they, until they don't. Um, yeah, I don't all know. right, so wait, so, know, there's, so there's, there's to wrap it up, to wrap it up, what does that mean for my Christmas shopping and the, and the Christmas shopping, everybody, everybody listening? I mean, I, those, those toys could be on those cargo ships and I don't know, like what do we do? 
Two words, gift certificates. <laughs> That's your only answer. <laughs> I hate when somebody gives me a gift certificate. It feels like a homework no, assignment. And, 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 you know, your, your little your niece or nephew, you're like, really? <laughs> yeah, but, no, but can I tell you? Answer. This is one of my my pet peeves. I don't like a gift certificate because it feels like, like a to-do list somebody's given me. In the same way, this is my number one, maybe... Maybe my top three, top three pet, pet peeves. When somebody sends you an email or a text, hey, how's it going? <laughs> What's new? Basically, what they're basically saying is entertain me. Like, yeah. you know what? You don't, You give me nothing about your own life. You like no, You didn't earn it at all. You just want me to dance for you. I refuse. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're scrolling up their, their text list and go, oh, there's Megan Kelly. Hey. <laughs> hey. What's new? Let's no stop. I ignore, ignore, ignore. I ignore most texts anyway. Never mind people who do that to me. Eric Bowling, I never ignore you, and you guys should not ignore him at 4 p.m. on Newsmax. The show is great. It's doing great, and I look forward to hearing your interview uh, with the cop, the state trooper, to whom this should not have happened. Good good talk. Love you. Miss you. Uh, Likewise, all the best. Coming up, we're talking to a middle school teacher who is speaking out about critical race theory in her school and the school now punishing her. She just got pushed out. We booked her before. This happened to her overnight, so we'll get her reaction on what they're now doing to her. It's time now for a feature on our show called Thanks But No Thanks, where we introduce you to some concept that is circulating on social media, in politics, or in the press that we would like to say, "Mm, we're good, actually. Thanks But No Thanks. Today, we are taking a look into the world of climate change and the amplification of a certain book by The New Yorker that's raising some eyebrows. Andreas Mom's book is called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Can you guess what it's about? You'll be shocked to learn it's about how and also why you should blow up a pipeline. The New Yorker was very intrigued by this eco-terrorism. Should the climate movement embrace sabotage? Asked the headline from the podcast interview with The New Yorker editor, David Remnick. Here's a little of that exchange. Listen. The book became a, mo- became a product of the moment of 2019, but it's also a call for escalation, a call for the movement to uh, diversify its tactics and uh, move away from uh, an exclusive focus on polite, gentle, and perfectly peaceful civil disobedience. What actions are you recommending for the movement? Well, I am recommending that the movement uh, continues with mass action and civil disobedience, but also opens up for property destruction. So I am in favor of of destroying machines, property, not harming people. That's a very, very important distinction there. Uh, And I think property can be destroyed in all manner of ways, or it can be neutralized in a a very gentle fashion as when we deflated the SUVs, or in a more spectacular fashion as in potentially blowing up uh, a a pipeline that's under construction. That's something that people have done. So you you are recommending blowing up a pipeline Oh, would you look at that? The guy who wrote a book called How to Blow Up a Pipeline is in fact recommending blowing up a pipeline. The New Yorker editor seems surprised. How about instead of normalizing this climate terrorism, we talk about how absolutely insane this is. To the author who wants to blow up pipelines to help the climate, we say thanks, but no thanks. Don't go away. Joining me now is Ramona Bessinger. 
she's an English middle school teacher in Providence, Rhode Island, and a mother speaking out against critical race theory and its tenants making its way into her school. Her story has garnered national attention and local criticism from her colleagues and now even some of her students. And as of last night, she is now suspended without pay, she believes, because she has spoken out about this. Ramona, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing today? Thank you so much. I'm doing very, very well. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I have to tell you, I related so much when I read that you said um, in the 2020 slash 21 school year. So last year, um, Providence's K through eight teachers were introduced to, quote, one of the most racially divisive, hateful and in large part historically inaccurate curriculums you had ever seen. I feel like I lived this firsthand the year prior in my own school in New York City. And I was one of the parents who got an, an an up close look at it thanks to the quarantine, but I had been seeing it there even prior to that. So how did you how did you start seeing it? Because I, th- I think critics get hung up on the term critical race theory, saying that's a law school thing that's taught. And I've conceded if, just move off of that. That's a red herring. It's basically race based obsession working its way into the school system, saying the white kids are oppressors and the the kids of color are the oppressed. They're the victims. White supremacy is everywhere. Patriot, whatever. You could go down the list, but it doesn't have to be classical critical race theory. What did you see? Well, I'm glad you first of all, I'm glad you bring up the critical race theory. I don't use that term either. I call it a racialized, divisive, you know, curriculum. and this is exactly what I what I saw happen in my school and in my son's school. Well, you know, they rolled out this curriculum in full force, it seems, last September. And there were questions right away. This was, you know, we were mandated to to teach social studies uh, in relationship to and, and abandon our English curriculum, our vetted English curriculum materials. In fact, all of our books, uh, starting with last year, were vetted by, it seems anyway, the New York Times. Um, But it wasn't really until January that I noticed something was really wrong when boxloads and boxloads of very bizarre cartoon-like paperback books landed in my classroom. And I had to color, you know, color code them, level them. So I took a good hard look at those books and noticed right away that there was something very, very wrong with those books. The themes, the characters were all the same. Uh, White people, historic figures all look like buffoons or aggressors. The imagery was the same. The characters were the same. There was that that victim and victimizer narrative very present between um, white and black folks historically. And um, although this is an important part of our historical narrative, it is certainly not the only narrative. And that's what these books were, were, were saying and telling us. And then, of course, the projects were all race-based. And, you know, so this, this alarmed me quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And so you, t- you, were, you were a teacher, you've been a teacher for 22 years, past seven in yeah. Providence, but you were teaching social studies? I teach English, but we were we were blending social studies 
and English together, combining okay. it for what was called uh, a humanities department rollout. Okay. And, you know, it sounds great. Humanities where you're teaching this, you're teaching literature, but providing the social context. Well, we do that anyway as teachers. So I don't know why we even had to have a mandate to do this. Um, but this is, uh, so yeah, we were first told to uh, blend our English literature with social studies uh, to teach with the social studies department, which wasn't in itself shocking. It was the actual projects and books mm -hmm. that that were shocking for so many of us. One of the things I read is um, you said the stories and book, you said uh, you noticed the timeline on the Revolutionary War and the Civil War, um, that the stories and books seem to focus almost exclusively on slavery and racism, while also excluding many other aspects of our history. Now, can I tell you this? My son, I know I've experienced this firsthand. My son, when he was in fourth grade, learned about the Revolutionary War and came home after a week of this saying uh, that he could name 12 slaves who had helped um, you know, the American side in the Revolutionary War. And we said, that's great. And he could say, like, somebody wound up in Harlem and blah, blah, blah. And that he knew where everybody had gone on and what they'd done and how they'd. OK, great. And after a while, I said to him, did they mention anything about General George Washington? And he said, no. <laughs> OK, so he's kind of important to the revolutionary. It's been a while since I've been in school, but I think I mean, that's the point you're making. So this isn't made up. This happened in my school and it happened in yours. That is correct. The, you know, historical figures are mentioned, but very briefly, mostly the narrative and the characters are, you know, surrounds this, you know, students are surrounded with this narrative from a uh, enslaved person's position. And, and it's hard to speak out against these sorts of things because you don't want to sound insensitive to that narrative that is very much a part of our U.S. history. Um, and so many of us were sort of like, well, how do we how do we speak about this publicly without getting attacked? Well, you know, there's no way around it. I mean, mm -hmm. not to speak out is to really, you know, to deny students and children that very crucial, you know, comprehensive education that really they're entitled to mm -hmm. as American children. Um, did you experience the obsession with trans issues as well? I mean, was it all critical race theory or did they do the gender stuff, too? Yes, there's there's uh, quite a bit of that um, more on the social realm. So in my classroom, I had literature that I was contending with and sort of sifting through these hundreds of books. But there were there was a big push. And in fact, there are posters all around my school and I teach middle school. So 12 and 13 year olds posters supporting the uh, supporting pride, supporting uh, any, you know, movements, uh, different types. I don't even know the different pronouns. I can't even name them all. There's so many. And it so changes on a daily basis that I couldn't even tell you. But this whole um, push to to embrace any child who wants to be um, pansexual, transsexual, multisexual, who the heck knows? You know, it's like mm -hmm. they're made up names and we, we can't even keep up with it. But this is what I noticed in my classroom. Children um, were identifying with different um, different sexualities, I suppose. And for me, it's shocking. One is a mother and two is a teacher. 
I'm not interested in talking to children about their sexual preference, especially at the age of 12. So it escapes me as to why an adult would want to have these private, you know, sort of intimate conversations about sexual preference and why I am, I was given a list of approved pronouns so I could start this discussion uh, with students. So right. I wasn't reading any literature per se, but the whole movement was being pushed um, in a very strange way. In fact, yes. this year we were told and mandated, and by the way, reprimanded if we didn't do this, to hand out pride tickets. Nothing wrong with being gay or choosing to be um, trans, but that is a private decision between a young person and their parents. It is not a decision for teachers, veteran teachers or new teachers or guidance counselors or whomever might be in the building circulating, uh, you know, to have with with minor children. This is a dangerous, dangerous, slippery slope because now you have adults uh, having conversations about sexual preference with a minor child. That's one, disgusting to me as a teacher. And two, how dare, you know, how dare a school board assume that they have the right to have these sorts of conversations with children? You know, they know that developmentally, middle school children want to fit in more so than probably elementary or secondary. And so they're preying on that psychological phase that kids go through. Yes. They want to fit in. And if they feel it's going to please an adult, they may even pick a pronoun so that yes. that adult applauds them and they gives are, them a They pin, are ideological predators. No, what you said is, I, are you kidding me? I, I loved every word because I've lived it and it's so cathartic to hear somebody else give voice to it too. You know, you're not alone. You sometimes feel like you're nuts. But I'll tell you a story. Yes. I, I, I've never revealed this before, Ramona. I've never talked about this, but at our school, which again was one of the top all boys schools in the one of the top schools in the country. And we chose it because it was traditionally it was more traditional. It wasn't this far left place. It is now um, on our third grade boys. OK, so they unleashed a three week experimental transgender education program on our boys. Uh, and but that I've revealed. But what I didn't reveal yet is this. The way we found out about it was we went to parent teacher night. And we're sitting there and one of our fellow parents, a man, raised his hand and said, why did my son come home? These are third graders, eight, and nine year olds. Why did my son come home and ask if it's true that he can take a pill to prevent puberty and then when he turns 18 can have his penis chopped off if he wants to become a woman? <laughs> we were I'm sorry. all No, no, we were Just all like, What? Say what? And he, we know this guy. We know his son. And the teacher, it was the science teacher who was standing up there. She was nine months pregnant at the time. So we were gentle with her. Um, but trust me, we were angry. And the teacher acknowledged it. She didn't deny it. She said, because we take the conversation where the boys want to take it. And of course, we were like, that's bull. No eight-year-old was asking that question. And even if they were, you are you telling me that if my son comes in here and says, hey, my mom's pregnant with another baby. I don't know that my parents want another baby. What are their options? Are you going to get into that? Or what if what if a, a teen in today's society says, I'm really depressed and I'm wondering what the many ways are one can commit suicide? 
There are things that are inappropriate to discuss with children, certainly third graders, as it was in our case, and teenagers down the line for all sorts of reasons. And the teachers who are bent on this ideological just torment refuse to acknowledge any of those limits. That is the problem, because maybe certain teachers might truly believe that they are helping, but it is not our position to subjectively and arbitrarily decide to help or counsel children who may express uh, that they want to wear a dress or that they are curious about. I'll burst out laughing if I say it, but, you know, your son's comment about chopping his penis off. <laughs> Not my son, but another son. But yeah, and, and I'm sure, by the way, by the way, I'm sure that the teacher in explaining this did not go into the harmful effects of puberty blockers and the people who detransition and the psychological torment of the whole thing. Right. It's like sold like, hey, it's an option on a menu that's available to you. It's wrong. It is very wrong because kids glom on to various identities, especially at that middle school level They're They want to fit in. So they're going to try different hats on at that age. Literally, they may try purple hair and different funny things. And they may at that point express to an adult, oh, yeah, I want to be uh, pansexual or I want to be a, uh, a girl or a boy or I like to dress up in various clothes. Oh, says that adult, come with me, and then secretly engages in some weird conversation with a minor about taking pills and and, and asking personal questions and maybe referencing one of those panorama, you know, surveys that children Mm -hmm. are made to take, or, um, you know, some one of the other different surveys that they're made to take where they're asked similar questions about their home life, about their sexual preference, about whether they're supported sexually. This is, I've never seen anything like this as a mother or an educator. And it's disgusting. Yeah. Really. And there's one thing I want to share. Right. Yeah, go ahead. Recently in one of my classes and several of my classes, actually, there are children who are young girls talking with very deep voices. So I don't know if they've been given uh, medication already to, to transition or if they're just sort of trying on this other identity. And it's kind of, we, it's just disturbing. It's not appropriate for school and it lends itself to potential abuse or worse, you know, predatorial, you know, predator behavior mm-hmm. in the schools. We send yes, our kids yes. to be this safe could be exploited. and to be educated. This we could be exploited by a, by a teacher writing. who's not well-meaning, who's got designs on a child. Unfortunately, we, we've seen scandals like this where there are schools that have teachers who are, there's a reason they went to work with children all day. This is not the vast majority of teachers, but it happens. There was a huge scandal in New York at Horace Mann um, decades ago, back in the 70s, uh, late 70s, I think it was. But the point is, any uh, opportunity to open up a discussion about sexuality and gender and genitals, that should be discouraged. I don't want anybody talking to my kid about that. So you you as a teacher and as a mother see all of this happening. And and by the way, before we get to what you did about it, they're making you go through all of the the training and, you know, you're you're a white supremacist or what What did they what sort of the, the dividing of the teachers based on race? What did you experience in that lane? Oh, well, the professional development, honestly, it makes you sick when you look at all the different offerings for professional development. Last year, one of the things that was pushed to us as educators was to participate in this 
white affinity group and black affinity group. So of course I thought, well, this is an opportunity to see, you know, be happy, open-minded. You want to be open-minded. And then I looked at the reading materials and I could see that we were being, we were instructed to participate in this white affinity group to read materials around white supremacy in the classroom. And I thought, oh no, 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 no. I'm not going to participate in something that is labeling me what I am absolutely 100% not. And so I, I didn't participate in that. I opted out. But this year, at the beginning of the year, the first week of school, we were um, we had our entire professional development around this uh, this idea or bias training, they call it. And we were made to do privilege walks and we had to talk about our white privilege and all of these ridiculous notions that they've just pulled out of the clouds from somewhere and somebody What's put them a privilege in walk? You know, a teacher's manual. It's, it's really horrible. What is a privilege walk? Oh, well, that <laughs> I didn't participate. I opted out. I was the only teacher. We're really, I think that the staff, the faculty was shocked. We were taken outside. This is quite interesting, actually. And the entire faculty at my school was made to line up in what I feel, what you know, was a military style, you know, lineup. And the principal stood in front of us, but two principals stood in front of the lineup and fired questions out at us, yelled them out because we were outside. So there was this like, take two steps forward if you have a parent that graduated from college. Take two steps back if you you know, wherever discriminated against in a store or whatever, like ridiculous, stupid <laughs> questions that led, you know, d- d- separated the faculty by, um, oh, I don't know, race potentially, or uh, mm-hmm. separated the faculty by economic class, um, education, etc. It was really offensive. It was stupid. And, 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 just, you know, sending a very, very inappropriate, dangerous message that divides and promotes racism. Mm-hmm. Gosh, can you imagine how the, the teachers of color felt, too, who had parents who were well-educated? Like, what are you what are you expecting that I'm just going to be in the back row because I'm at the lowest on all of these metrics? I have, you know, I mean, it's just it's offensive on every level. And the thing about um, being followed around a store. I've talked about this before, but I, I, I realize that sometimes black people get followed around the store in a way that a white person might not um, because, you know, they'll just some racists would assume you're you're a shoplifter. Guess what? It happens to most women, too. I mean, irrespective of color, because women are the ones who shove the things in their bag. <laughs> the men are generally doing it. I mean, that's just the truth. It's like, all right. So it's all fraught and it's complicated and it's got a la- lot of layers on it. But one thing's clear and that's it's wrong. Um, and it's wrong to punish a teacher who speaks up against it, which is clearly, in this reporter's view, what just happened to Ramona. So, Ramona, what was the first way in which you spoke up uh, against all of this? Well, I just I'm not I've never been politically active, so it was an uncomfortable thing to to sort of 
talk about. I just want to say that. And at first, we didn't really know what the heck was going on. But I went to a meeting um, with a group of parents about seven months ago and shared some of the reading material. That was the very first time Nicole Solis was there and several other parents in our group, NK parents. We, we all were very concerned. We knew something wasn't right. And then I spoke at... Um, a community-based um, meeting and discussion on critical race theory and, and in the schools shortly thereafter. I also um, spoke out at the Senate ethics uh, oversight hearing on education, which seemed to seemingly fell on deaf ears, go figure. And, um, and so this, this all has sort of come to light in the past seven months and taken on momentum and of it, you know, say taking on yeah. momentum, sort of culminating with that legal insurrection blog in July, doing and the full then, story. So, you know, so what? And what sort of alleged retaliatory behavior did you start to see once you started speaking out? Oh my goodness! Well, right away, I was taken to um, human resources for every for ridiculous things, things like. Um, teaching the Declaration of Independence, pronouncing a student's name wrong, walking out of the building during a fire alarm incorrectly, just crazy things that I, I simply, you know, just harassing me constantly at me. Um, so, and then of course the harassment continued at the start of this year. I was uh, attacked verbally by a colleague at a professional development uh, meeting first day of school, where she accused me of being privileged. And it, it was both shocking and upsetting to me to be attacked in this way, in a very angry way. This is a colleague who I respect. She was my friend. And to be spoken to in such a disrespectful way and called a name, I thought was uh, uncalled for and shocking to me. Then at a faculty meeting, the math teacher, a math teacher lashed out at me as well and told me to shut up. He didn't want to hear anything that I had to say. I was only making talking about a reading assignment or a reading mandate that we were discussing very friendly, you know, everybody in the faculty meeting. He did, he did apologize though. I guess that makes it okay. Um, and then various other, you know, sort of like outbursts. And I really think that this is the way this left-wing mob likes to behave. When they see that they are losing the battle, it, rather than engage in any kind of meaningful discourse, uh, you know, maybe perhaps pull me aside and say, Ramona, what is your position and why do you feel this way? or have an open discussion with the faculty and, and perhaps even children who might have a discussion, they, they go behind your back and they undermine you. They make things up about you. They harass and bully you and they gang up on you and they silence the majority of teachers who are silently with me, you know, but, but this is the way they behave in the hopes that I would just back down and cower away and remain silent. So not true. Wh why not do it? Right. Why not just go along to get along, keep your job, keep your head down, don't make waves. Why did you keep speaking out? What was the message and why was it so important? 
because I love my children and I love the country and I believe in this country. And I also care a great deal about education. I care a great deal about my students and this is wrong. And what kind of a human being would I be if I said nothing? I know that sounds very cliche, but this is the truth. I'd rather lose my job, get suspended, be, you know, they can harass me, do whatever they want. It's not going to stop me from speaking the truth and getting the story out there. I'm speaking the truth. I have all the evidence to back up what I'm saying about this terrible, egregious curriculum. And they can bully me and harass me all they want. Have at it. So, you know, it's and also I just want to say that if somebody doesn't speak out for educators, and I know there are many of us who who are listening, many educators who are listening, then they win. They get to bury this and use our students and my children as their personal political weapons against the nation. And I can't allow that. Can't do it. Love my kids too much. What do you think they're doing to the children? What effect is all of this meant to have on children and having? Well, the effect is this. Children at my school actually believe that many white people are racist, myself included, because I spoke out against this curriculum. Children said to me, Miss, why don't you want black books to be taught? Of course, my response was, what are you talking about? Why would you say that? There isn't a lesson plan that I have ever, you know, that I've ever created that hasn't been filled with um, diversity and multicultural literature. So I was curious, where are you getting this message from? Of course, young people can't really speak to exactly where they're getting it from because it's most likely an adult who is saying it to them. So the kids are seeing the United States as something to be feared, as a racist and um, unfair uh, country. At at one point last year, kids were, they weren't standing anymore for the Pledge of Allegiance, not all kids, but the majority of one class in particular chose to sit down and protest. And then there were comments made to me and little, you know, persnickety comments about the country, about my uh, political affiliations, of which they know nothing about, because I don't believe teachers should be talking about politics to uh, minor children, but things like that. So kids are starting to believe that this country is bad and that they need to fight for what is right, you know, fight for justice, social justice, they they're being taught, you know, mm-hmm. they're being so that is what I'm social seeing, justice, great divide and hatred justice for warriors. the United States. So you, so your teacher or your principal, by the way, why did you get in trouble in trouble for teaching the Declaration of Independence? Oh, well, at the time I had no idea why I was getting in trouble because this was back in November when it all started, when it was just first rolled out. Um, when we received the curriculum materials, I was trying to be positive about everything. And I thought, oh, great. I might as well start with the Declaration of Independence and teach an essay around it. Maybe the kids would like to learn how to write a reflective essay on the Declaration of Independence. Well, all hell broke loose, apparently, because I was pulled to um, human resources. uh, And allegedly, they like to use this uh, legal googly gop language to scare you. Allegedly, I had taught a piece of literature that my students were going to be, that was supposed to be taught for a writing assessment that, by the way, 
wasn't true and never actually happened. But allegedly, I had taught this, the Declaration of Independence, um, prior to a writing assessment. So my kids were privy to this secret information that maybe some <laughs> other child in the school wasn't privy to. So wow. I don't know. So yeah. you felt clearly like it was thing after thing, like you didn't follow the protocol on the fire drill or what have you. And any of these things normally just if you actually had done something wrong, probably would have resulted in like a warning. Right. I mean, they, it seems like they went to DEFCON one very fast with you. And then last night, what happened? Oh, well, yesterday I went to school and very, you know, like any other normal day, walked into the building and the secretary said, uh, Miss Bessinger, you're going to the faculty lounge for the day. And I said, uh, why? And she said, I don't know. That's just where they they want you to go for the day. So I said, well, who are you know, who's they and and why would I be spending the day in the faculty lounge? I don't know, but that's where you have to go. So, of course, I went down to the faculty lounge where it was, you know, sub zero temperatures freezing and sat there and waited for someone to tell me why I was down there. And nobody ever told me, nobody ever gave me any explanation. And there I was left for the entire day. And in fact, it wasn't until I was driving home that my union rep called me to say that um, a disciplinary decision had been rendered. And I, I was uh, that this five day suspension without pay for this other ridiculous allegation uh, was rendered and that I would be now moved out of the school and involuntarily transferred to another school to be announced, by the way, um, because I had, I had said that I was concerned about hostility in the school towards me, rightly so, but I wasn't concerned about the entire faculty. I'm not afraid to walk into the building. I'm concerned about legitimate, you know, things that are said at meetings, legitimate being legitimately being called privileged or, you know, people commenting on the way I look or dress or speak or whatever. Those things are not appropriate and they need to be addressed by the professionals in the building. I shouldn't be further punished by move by being moved out of the building now and and silenced from being speaking from speaking out about what is happening at my middle school. Mm-hmm. So but that is in fact what they did. Five so basically days instead of fixing which I'm going to fight instead and, of fixing the problem they're moving yeah. you they're, they're not concerned with any retaliation you may have gotten or behavior by the other faculty they're just going to move you and you don't want to be moved so this is an effective termination of your teaching abilities at this school yes it's like they're firing me but not really firing me they're going to torture me by being really mean to me and you know not paying me for 5 days for who knows what, you know, I've done a very good job. I'm a very good teacher. My teacher evaluations will speak to that, but I don't even want to have to defend myself. I shouldn't even have to say that, you know, but Mm -hmm. it's, they know that they hold all the cards that I am vulnerable to their, um, whatever they want to do. I'm a pawn on a 
chessboard for this administration. Mm -hmm. And they can harass me. They can weaponize the children. They can move me to another school. They can take away my livelihood. They can do whatever they want, harass and harangue me for as long as they want and just get away with it because that's what these bullies do. They're doing it to teachers across the nation. That's why, that's why, by the way, there's a teacher shortage in many urban school districts. And currently, I think 200, maybe more teachers have resigned from the Providence School District. And why is that? Well, because many are choosing to do that rather than fight. And I don't blame them. It's not easy. It's hmm. not easy. I've had to really, you know, put that armor around me. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, the, the data, like the stats out of the Providence schools suggest they need to be focused on keeping good teachers who want to really teach kids. There was a Wall Street Journal report, July 7th, 2019. This is how it, it began. Peeling lead paint, brown water, leaking sewage pipes, broken asbestos tiles, rodents, frigid and chaotic classrooms and student failure were all documented in a 93 page review by the Johns Hopkins Institute for Education Policy conducted at the request of the Rhode Island Education Commissioner uh, saying this is an example of government failure. Five percent of Providence eighth graders on average scored proficient in math in 2015 through 2017 school years. Five percent. Take a look at Newark, which is not exactly known for its great schools. They they're at least at 21 percent. Worcester, Mass, not far away, twice as proficient as those in Providence. And instead of focusing on the five percent, I guess I should say the 95 percent of Providence eighth graders who are not proficient in math, they're focused on you. They're focused on you and privilege and who's oppressed and who's an oppressor. I mean, you tell me whether they've got their priority priorities straight. That would be a hard no. They do not. They're not pushing children to 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 teach. They're not demanding of children, you know, or teachers to teach reading and writing. I have students who are illiterate in my classroom, and I know that that's not going to make a lot of, you know, my colleagues happy to say that, but they know this is true. Children are not learning how to read and write, and nor is my child in his school currently. What is being, um, what we were mandated to do last year was, we don't, you know, tell your students they shouldn't have to read the book that we were reading at the time it was called Bull Run, vetted by the New York Times. They were told to listen, we were told to provide audio recordings of this book. So kids wouldn't have to actually read the book, read the literature, they could just listen. Now we always have audio to accompany reading. So it's not that. So I know there are gonna be teachers out there saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, it wasn't that. We were specifically mandated to tell kids not to read and to listen on audiobooks. And I know this is happening at my son's school because he had that diary of a part-time Indian with all the pornography in it that he was told to go home and listen to on audiobooks as well, hmm. because they don't want kids to have to skip through those important sections about race, those important sections in my son's case about sex, and, uh, porn, you know, pornographic sections in my son's case and at my school, it was all race-based. They don't want kids to miss a moment of that. They want them really tuned in and rather than read and write, by all means, have them listen 
all the wow. time, you know. What, what grade is your son in? 10th grade. He's in okay. an American literature class that is really actually not American literature at all, has very little. Oh, the literature is actually printed and written in America, but there's no historical basis for any of the literature except for uh, To Kill a Mockingbird mm. and The Crucible. So yeah, I love the fact that The Crucible is taught at the end where the people who speak out against the establishment mm. and speak for truth are burnt at the stake. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Ramona, so what, because now we see the DOJ cracking down or threatening to crack down on parents who speak up about exactly these issues at their school board meetings because parents are figuring it out and getting louder in a great way, uh, but they're in, they're going to intimidate them too. So you're right in the mix of all of this. You're on the teacher and parent end of it. What do you want parents out there to know? Because I'll tell you, some people who I really love and care about recently were saying to me, like, this isn't this is critical race theory is not really taught in these schools. And this isn't really an issue. And I'm jumping up and down, having lived it, saying, I'm telling you, it's a thing and it's dangerous. That's what you're doing, too, in a way that may actually cost you your livelihood. What do you want people to know? What's the takeaway? We must intervene. We need every single parent in this country to speak out and to continue to speak out, not only at their school board meetings, but we need teachers to feel emboldened and brave enough to speak out against what is happening. Because if we do not speak out, we will not recognize this country in eight years. They're starting with our children, but they're going to end with our homes, our culture, our history, our way of life as we know it. That is what is happening. And I hope I don't sound like I'm exaggerating, but that is the end game with all of this terrible, terrible material. So I would encourage parents to attend school committee meetings. I would encourage teachers to quietly shut their door and, and teach the truth, teach about the Holocaust, teach Frederick Douglass and all the multicultural literature that is actually vetted, not by the New York Times, but in the canonical texts. So, and also I would encourage parents to feel comfortable about asking this question. What book is my child reading this quarter? And what project is my child mandated to complete because in that book and in that project you will see all of the things that i'm talking about the racialized material in some cases the pornographic material it will all be there so what school districts like to do is send parents links to 500 pages of curriculum because they understand it's overwhelming i'm recommending this as a teacher ask a teacher about the book and project that is being taught in their English class. And there you will find mm -hmm. all of it. And just to put a period on the end of that, uh, we didn't get to this, but you were told you would no longer be able to teach the Holocaust when you asked why you were told, uh, you alleged you were told we do not teach the Holocaust because kids can't relate to the story. <laughs> okay. Um, that's that's a reason not to, to just skip right over that whole World War II thing. Um, and then the book that you were tweeting about was called Sex Plus by Lacey Green, um, finding in, in your school library, I understand. And we had to look at this talking about what is kink um, and it goes into kink and I'll just give the viewers and the listeners a, a little 
sample so they understand what what you're objecting to. Um, in sex toys, a chapter, they talk about vibrators then and now. What's your sex toy made of? Visiting the sex shop, cleaning sex toys, talking about the various sex toys in great in great detail. Um, I mean, just I can't even repeat some of these terms in here, but it's not something you'd want your middle schooler having anything to do with. Um, it's insane what's happening. And it's past time to pay attention and speak up. Ramona, we'll continue to follow this. And if they fire you, please let us know. And I will be the first to publicly humiliate everyone involved. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you. Of course. We, we're with you. We are behind you. Uh, listen, don't miss tomorrow. Uh, we're doing a deep dive into the deep state with Glenn Greenwald. And go to YouTube.com slash Megan Kelly to watch the show. Subscribe now. I appreciate it.